Hello, I'm Faisal Pervez, a South Asia analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. cartel's case, they're not really trying to take over Mexico. They don't want to govern because it's expensive. It's a hassle. They just want to be free to conduct business the way they want to conduct business. Welcome to the Stratfor podcast. I'm Fred Burton. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Stratfor's VP of Tactical Analysis, Scott Stewart. Scott, you recently published an intriguing article for us about uh, Mexican drug cartels. Are cartels terrorist organizations? Well, they, they can be. And, and, uh, and, you know, I think historically we've seen groups like, you know, Pablo Escobar's Medellin cartel. Um, they were true narco-terrorists. They, they were involved in terrorist activities such as, you know, bombing markets, bombing the, the domestic intelligence agency, taking down planes and, you know, vice presidential candidates and such. So, I mean, that was real terrorism. Uh, I mean, the, the Mexican cartels are very brutal. They use a lot of, of uh, you know, military-grade weapons. They use explosives. Uh, you know, they decapitate people. They cause terror, but they cause terror for economic gains and not for political gains. So, so I don't really consider it to be the same type of terrorism like what we saw out of Escobar's group. And I know because we looked into a lot of those bombings back in the day uh, in yeah. Bogota. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Mike Parks and I uh, traveled down there and looked at a couple of the bombings that Escobar's people did in Bogota. So, uh, you know, our, our Stratfor staff here has direct knowledge of, of what narco-terrorism looks like. And certainly have uh, picked up the pieces of many buildings in the rubble. So if you look at how cartels are different from terrorist organizations, what would you think would be one or two kind of the big differences? Because I know we get a lot of readers and writers and a lot of comments on social media about uh, Mexican cartels being terrorist organizations. So what do you think is the biggest di- differentiator? Well, it's, it's really the fact that, that they're not politically motivated. Uh, you know, they're economically motivated and why they do try to use terror. It, it's, it's for commercial purposes, not for political purposes. And, you know, when we look at, at terrorism, it's really on that kind of that, that militant uh, continuum, we'll call it, where you have kind of, you know, terrorism leading into insurgency, leading into conventional warfare. Um, it's really seen as a continuation of, of, of really warfare. Um, in, the, in the cartel's case, they're not really trying to take over Mexico. Uh, they don't want to govern because it's expensive. It's it's, it's a hassle. Um, they just want to be free to uh, conduct business the way they want to conduct business. So the difference would be an economic indicator there. Yeah, the motive. The motive behind that. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about the geography of Mexico and how it helps make it possible for cartels to thrive. Yeah, that's one of the things that you know we've uh, had a, a – monograph of Mexico on our, our uh, Stratfor website for many years now. And, uh, you know, really when, when you look at Mexico's geography, the the vast, uh, you know, really expand it, – it's, you know, it's a very expansive country. But then you also have a lot of geographic barriers that have always kind of made it difficult for Mexico City to exercise control over kind of the remote reaches. So you kind of have this this 
core of Mexico, which is really the plateau where Mexico City is. Uh, but then as you get out you know, into the mountains and the deserts of the north, there's kind of that separation or also uh, going south the other way with you know the, the jungle and rainforest to the south and some of the mountains. Uh, it's been very difficult historically uh, for them to exercise control. And so, I mean, the places where we've seen uh, you know, these organized crime groups kind of evolve. Uh, you know, the, the, the mountains of Sinaloa, uh, Tamaulipas, you know, north of, of the desert, uh, you know, on, on the U.S. border, or even down in Tierra Caliente. Those have always been kind of places where there's been banditry and, and uh, where, where the government's had a, a problem exercising control. And I know for our listeners that have not seen our cartel map uh, that, that shows the different patches of turf which are owned by what cartel is one thing that we consistently get a lot of good feedback. So I would encourage our listeners to take a look at that map. Uh, if you're doing business or traveling in Mexico and you want to see which cartel is in what area, that's a good place to look. Our creative team has, I think, have, for 15 years now done a great job with that. Scott, what counterinsurgency tools are being used against cartels? Well, let's take a step back first and, and kind of look at, at, at the, you know, the counterterrorism tools. And that's where, uh, you know, we talk about, the, you know, the cartels aren't really terrorists and that the Mexican government and the U.S. government hasn't categorized them as terrorists like they did Pablo Escobar. But we see a lot of the same tools and, and counterterrorism tools being used against the cartels. So you have these special forces raids coming in to either capture or kill people. You know, we, we had, uh, you know, the Beltran and Brown brothers uh, get, get captured and killed. We had El Chapo uh, get, get swept up. Uh, we saw the military attempt uh, a few years ago to get El Mencho, uh, you know, Nemesio Oseguera Cervantes, the, the leader of the CJNG. And they actually had their helicopter shot down by the CJNG guys with an RPG. So, I mean, there, there really is a, a lot of, uh, you know, warfare going on there. We also had a, a senior Beltran, the Alfa uh, organization uh, figure, get taken out in Tepic with a, a helicopter gunship with a minigun. And it was just orbiting, and, and there was all this social media uh, feed of this helicopter just orbiting and just raining fire from that, that you know, from, you could just see the tracers pounding that building. And it really looked like something that you would expect to see from Iraq or Syria in a raid against an Islamic State compound or al-Qaeda compound. Um, so, you know, we've seen these tools. We, we've seen intelligence tools, uh, you know, trying to, to hack and track the electronics of these cartels. Uh, so a lot of the same tools we see used against the Islamic State or al-Qaeda have really been, been turned against uh, the cartels. But the, the problem that we have there is, is that despite all of this, the Mexicans have not been able to kill their way out of this problem. Yeah, that's a very interesting line. I know you've used that before when you say that Mexico can't kill their way out of this violence and this problem. And I think that uh, if you look at that too from a terrorism perspective, it's a lesson we also learned from that uh, for many, many years now. Yeah, and really, I mean, when we, we see these uh, decapitation strikes that they've taken, uh, you know, and, and whether it's taking out uh, Osiel Cardenasquian, uh, you know, out of the Gulf Cartel or taking down, uh, you know, Guzman, uh, El Chapo Guzman out of Sinaloa. What, what that's really done is, is help foster really this what we call balkanization. So there's been this splintering of the cartels uh, due to these operations, but they're still there. And in many ways, it's really just increased the violence because, uh, for example, if we look at Tamaulipas, it used to have the Gulf Cartel pretty much in charge of, of all the smuggling in Tamaulipas. You know, they were the big dog. They controlled everything. But now, you know, the Gulf cartel totally imploded. You, have, you had Los Zetas splinter off. 
Then they fractured further into probably at least half a dozen Losetas factions. And then the Gulf Cartel itself now is all little, you know, micro factions of the Gulf Cartel. They call themselves the Gulf Cartel, but I mean, there's like currently two Gulf cartels, quote unquote, uh, in Reynosa, uh, that were, you know, splinters of this organization called Los Metros that are fighting for Reynosa. And that's what's creating a lot of the bloodshed there has been just that increased friction as you've had, you know, these groups splinter and fight against each other plus against their, their opponents. So there, there's just a lot more levers or layers of, of violence now. And that's why we're seeing these record levels, um, you know, of, of murders in Mexico. And so just, you know, trying to kill the way out of the problem, trying to take out the leaders you know, really hasn't solved the underlying problems that, that has caused, uh, you know, the violence and, and the rampant violence in Mexico. We'll get back to Stratfor's Fred Burton and Scott Stewart's conversation on cartels and counterinsurgencies in a moment. If you like the content of today's discussion, Stratfor Worldview is chock full of geopolitical content on topics like security, cybersecurity, the global power competition, Brexit, and more. To subscribe, visit worldview.stratfor.com. Now, back to the studio. Do you think the kingpin strategy works there, Scott? Meaning if you capture an El Chapo, does it really matter? The thing is, economically, no. Because uh, you know we, we know that there's going to be the flow of drugs. Because as long as there's, there's a demand in the U.S., and as long as Americans are willing to pay big money for these poisons, somebody's going to find a way to smuggle them across. And whether that's a large organization uh, you know, like what was the Guadalajara cartel that broke down, or what was the Gulf cartel that broke down, or whether it's these now these you know these fragmented you know little micro cartels. Somebody's going to move it, and and really, I think it's also interesting to understand that when we look at the border, you know, that's like that invisible line. Well, you know, there's a fence or a river in some places, right? But really, there, there's a very big difference in the way these organizations operate on either side of that line, and, and they're the same groups. We know that, that you know, these, these Zeta groups, these Gulf cartel groups, these other groups, Sinaloa, come up into the U.S., but they behave very differently on the north side of the border than they do on the south side. And explain the reason why. Well, basically the reason why is because there's a rule of law, uh, you know, in, in the U.S., whereas in Mexico we just have this rampant corruption. Uh, there's impunity. You, you can literally get away with murder in Mexico. Um, there, there's really a vacuum of governance and, and, and capable governance, and then the people don't trust the government. Um, and, and so all those things have really allowed the, the, the Mexican cartels just to run amok south of the border. And so that's why they behave differently. Now, yeah, do we have corruption in the U.S.? Absolutely. You know, we've seen everybody from local sheriffs, deputies and sheriffs uh, to FBI uh, special agents in charge arrested for cartel corruption. So it's it's there, but it's viewed differently on the U.S. side. It's not nearly as pervasive. And, and on the U.S. side, basically, it's it's rooted out and, and these guys are taken down. Whereas in, in Mexico, it, it just continues and it, and it really it impacts every layer of government. Um, and and it, it just really, you know, not only uh, helps the cartels uh, in their illegal activities, uh, but it also really has, uh, you know, caused the, the public to lose their, their confidence in government down there. How do you address the issue, though? I know when we talk to the Mexican government officials on visits or at conferences and so forth, they they certainly put the blame squarely back on us, meaning, look, if America did not have this drug demand problem, uh, we would not have some of the violence. How do you address that issue? Well, I think, again, just uh, compare Texas to, to Tamaulipas. Okay, they're, they're basically, you know, especially South Texas, you look at the Rio Grande Valley, there's very, very little difference 
uh, on the north and south side of the river as far as geography, culture, other things. Family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much the same families on both sides of the river in many right. cases. But there's a huge difference in the levels of violence. So, you know, uh, South Texas still has the problems of dope flowing through there. Sure. You know, basically all, you know, almost all the dope that's flowing through Tamaulipas is coming through the Rio Grande Valley. Right. And uh, so is stolen cars and stolen weapons. Yeah, and, and the money and the guns coming south are also coming through Texas right. and going into Tamaulipas. But it's it's totally different. So, so you just can't blame the drug flow alone. You can't blame just the, the you know the, the money or the weapon flow alone because otherwise it would be the same uh, in in you know southern Texas as it is you know it, it'd be the same in Brownsville as Matamoros, and it's not. So it's it's not just that flow. Uh, you know, it, it really is the the idea of of governance of stability, of accountability, uh, lack of corruption. It seems uh, like we've been talking about cartel violence uh, and as long as we've been at Stratfor. And, and certainly when we were with the State Department, we were dealing with issues there too. For example, the kidnapping and murder of the DEA agent. Are we making any strides in this so-called war on drugs? Meaning, uh, how do you define success here? What What is the... What is the answer when it comes to this issue, and, and what should America's role be in that? Well, I, you know, I think America definitely has to help support the Mexicans, but, you know, it, it, it's something that they ultimately have to solve themselves. We can't solve it for them, and that's something that, you know, the United States needs to understand. You know, we can support them and be partners, but it's really something they have to do themselves. At the same time, you know, when we're talking about defining success, I think success would be getting violence down to a similar level of what it is in Texas, from the cartels, you know, if the Mexicans could get the cartels to behave in the same manner they do uh, in Texas and Mexico, that'd be a huge win. I mean, it'd be a huge win not just for society, who, who you know, they're, they're bearing a lot of this brunt, but for business, uh, because you know these cartels are involved in oil theft, cargo theft, extortion, kidnapping, carjacking, you know, all these crimes that are impacting uh, Mexican businesses and, and their families and businessmen and their families. Um, so if they could get those things under control, it would be a huge boon for the Mexican economy. Where do you see this going? Uh, we are strategic forecasting. So if you had to sit back and look out, say, three to five years from now, where do we see this uh, cartel violence uh, heading? Well, sadly, as, as we've been watching trends and as we project them forward, if the Mexican government keeps doing what they've been doing and pursuing uh, basically the approach they've been pursuing, I don't see it getting any better. Uh, you know, the, the, the violence is going to continue. There's really nothing right at this point that's going to stop um, groups like the CJNG in, in their efforts to push to take over these places. So a lot of the violence we see today, whether it's in Tijuana, whether it's in, in the Juarez and, and, and Chihuahua city area, whether it's even the, the stuff in Reynosa, um, it, it's a lot of those are the CGNG working with kind of local partners uh, and supporting them in those wars as they're – because they don't really have enough to this point control the plaza themselves. So they've had to pay other people to smuggle their drugs and that's expensive. Um, so that's why it's worth them going and trying to uh, – you know, uh, basically conduct these wars against com competing cartels so they can own a plaza, they can move their stuff through there freely without having to pay what they call a piso or a tax on, on moving their contraband through there. Um, so, so they're very, very much involved. I just don't see the dynamics ending. I, I don't see, uh, you know, the, these, uh, you know, small wars uh, between these smaller groups, uh, you know, whether it's in, in uh, places, uh, you know, like Reynosa or whether it's what we see happening in, you know, Guanajuato, Guerrero State, you know, where 
Acapulco is located, is, is the same way. Um, you just have all these micro cartels there fighting each other for uh, you know turf to grow uh, opium poppies, but also for for drug sales and retail drug sales in Acapulco and other places. So there's just multiple levels and, and layers of violence there, and I don't see that ending if they keep pursuing the same approach they pursued. And that's why I wrote this piece talking about trying to switch gears and move into more of a counterinsurgency type model. If you're looking out uh, at the Mexican cartel's relationship with just global organized crime, are we seeing uh, Mexican cartel's interactions with uh, organizations such like the Italian mafia or, or Chinese organized crime? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if, if you look, there's very, very strong connections um, between China and Mexico. And that's taken, uh, it, it, you know, a form in the way of drug precursors. So almost all the precursors that are coming into Mexico super labs to make these tons of methamphetamine and to make the fentanyl and sometimes finish fentanyl, that's all coming in from China. Um, on the other hand, we also see Mexican organized crime working with, you know, biker groups in Australia to sell cocaine, uh, to sell uh, methamphetamine and other drugs there. I, I believe eventually we're going to see fentanyl headed that way uh, from Mexico on those same. And then, of course, we see the, the Mexicans working in Europe um, you know, with, with organized crime over there. So they really have become a, a very big global player and do have uh, you know, a very big footprint right now. Who do you think is winning? Are the cartels winning or is the Mexican government winning? Well, it depends how you describe winning. Um, you know, and that's the problem. Certainly, the cartels are continuing to to make a lot of money. Um, you know, they're they're losing high profile individuals, uh, so that can be counted you know counted as a win by the government. So, if you take somebody like El Chapo Guzman off the street, okay, that's a win. But it didn't really stop the flow of contraband, and certainly didn't stop the violence. And so, uh, you know, I think that if we start thinking about uh, you know. Uh, kind of rationally, what we need to see, you know, the, the Mexicans to really have a win is to be able to reduce the violence in Mexico, uh, you know, to a level where basically their their public feels safe and where businesses can thrive. Because I mean, just within the last week, uh, we actually had a case where uh, the, the, a very large Ford dealership in, in Guanajuato State uh, closed down, right? Uh, because of the, you know the, the threat of extortion, we, we've seen uh, you know Pepsi and Coke pull out of Guerrero State because of the chaos there. And, and it really is hurting business. Uh, you know, the, the amount of cargo theft that's uh, going on, oil theft in, in Mexico is just terrible. And so that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that uh, a lot of good folks lose their jobs. And so what are you going to do, but perhaps go into the drug trade? Exactly. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, Mexico, I mean, the, the economy is doing surprisingly well, considering these problems, but it could be even doing better. And it could really be providing opportunities for these young people that are going into this cartel lifestyle. Of course, it's more work than being a Sicario. Um, doesn't probably quite pay as well, but but still, there, there, there would be a lot of opportunity there. Scott, thanks for being with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Fred. We'll have details about Scott Stewart's article on treating Mexico drug cartels as insurgents in our show notes. If you're interested in learning more about Straf4 Worldview, our premier publication for anyone interested in geopolitics and world events, be sure to visit worldview.strat4.com slash subscribe. I'm always looking for tips for good interviews. You can send me ideas directly at podcasts at strat4.com. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.